This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. And now, from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is the CMO Spotlight. With insight from top executives on how to address the key challenges facing the business world and the marketing industry. Here are your hosts, Catherine Hayes and Jenny Rooney. Hey, welcome to the CMO Spotlight. I'm Catherine Hayes. Uh, as you just heard, the CMO Spotlight airs on the last Friday of every month at 9 a.m. Eastern, and it replays all during the following week, and you can also find podcasts on it on any of your favorite podcast subscription services. And what we really love to do is to get into the minds of our chief marketing officers from some really incredible companies. We'll talk about their backstories. We like to talk about hot topics that are going on and get their quick thoughts on that, all the really interesting stories that you're hearing about. And really also just try to get them to really break it down so that um, there's insights and advice from these top executives on how they're taking a hold of all these changes in the marketing place, in the marketing space these days, which is a lot. Um, So I'm Catherine Hayes. I'm the co-author of Beyond Advertising, Creating Value Through All Customer Touchpoints, written while I was co-director with uh, Professor Jerry Wind of the Wharton Future of Advertising program for about 10 years. And with me uh, today, actually not in the studio, but with me as my wonderful co-host for the show is Jenny Rooney. Hi, Jenny. Hey, Catherine. How are you? Great. Jenny is the editor of the Forbes CMO Network. Jenny, just a little bit about it. Sure, thanks. Yeah, the CMO Network uh, is a content channel at Forbes, and um, we also have sort of a live events practice as well. Um, The goal is to obviously just bring um, sort of um, top-line content to our CMO community and keep them as uh, in the know as possible, and we do a lot of features with CMOs and video interviews and things like that. So it's just our our way to kind of keep – keep news and analysis front and center in front of that very uh, interesting key audience for us. Fantastic. And uh, and that's what you do so wonderfully is tapping into that uh, amazing network to bring us some great guests. And I know today you've brought us and we'll be speaking with Jean-Marc Payol. He's the chief marketing officer for Allianz. And, um, and we also have with us Chris Hummel. He's the sales vice president and chief marketing officer of United Rentals. So we've got on the on the uh, business side as well as the B2B as well as the B2C, business to business and, and business to consumer and in between. So we're excited to have them both on the show. And with that, let's go ahead and, and get started. I'd like to first welcome Jean-Marc Payol. He's the chief marketing officer for Allianz. Welcome to the show, Jean-Marc. Thank you. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Katrine. Hi. Hi, hey, Jean-Marc. So to start us off, could you just give us a little bit about sort of the elevator pitch about your company and the breadth of what it does? Uh, so Allianz is uh, an insurance company. Everybody, I hope everybody know that. Uh, and we are, by the way, the, the largest insurer, global insurer in the world. Uh, we have 250 million clients, direct and indirect, which means B2C, B2B, and B2B2C. We are we are present in 60 more than 67 countries. Uh, we have 150,000 employees, and we work with 500,000 intermediaries. Uh, I think it's not bad as an introduction, and we do uh, and we do um, 120 million business and uh, a bit more than 11 billion profit. One uh, wonderful indicator that I saw, and we can maybe talk a little bit about it later as we get into more of the marketing topic, but um, you're also the lead insurer on the Dow Jones Sustainability Index. That's pretty impressive. Yes. So wanna yes. want to definitely talk about that. But before we do and talk a little bit more about Allianz, let's talk about you. Let's, let's get into your background. We love hearing about marketers' journeys and how they get to this CMO role. So can you tell us um, your career journey? Yeah, it's a long journey. I'm 58, so I have to summarize it. Um, I started uh, in the bank sector and I spent 16 years, 16 years of my life in the bank sector, mainly in France. Um, oh, that's a just, French accent. I was yeah, thinking it was Michigan. Accent. Okay. It's difficult for me to <laughs> not not to not to be seen as a French guy. Um, and before before that, what is quite interesting, I, I started in some in a in a specific sector. You probably don't know. It was uh, the Minitel in France. The name is Minitel. Mm-hmm. It was in fact the the origin the the 
the prehistory of internet. Uh, as frequent, uh, frequently in France, we have great ideas. We start we start uh, new business sectors, but it's sometimes difficult for us to go from the engineer part to the business part. Uh, the American people are much more much more efficient <laughs> to do that. I actually but, remember uh, it from my days when I was at AT and T and working in France. That? Yep. So very. Yeah. So that's... you remember it was the origin, and in fact, yeah. I, I created at this moment in 1984 the first startup in the, what we call with what we will call now a startup in the Minitel business in France. So we were the first oh. company who launched the first services online on the Minitel on the Minitel ecosystem. So it was my my first experience, and after that, I entered the, in the bank in the bank sector. I was head of market management of one of the the, the French biggest bank. I was in charge of a region. Uh, during some years, uh, and after that, I became head of development for the group. And in uh, after six, something like 16 years with the Bank Popular Group, I started to create the Bank Postal, which was a, the Postal Bank, uh, which was, by the way, I think again one of the, the first one in the world, based on the, on the Postal Office, and it was it became the the, the the biggest retail bank in France with more than 12 million clients, which wow. is enormous in France uh, compared to the size of the country. Uh, four years doing that, uh, one year and a half to do some uh, consulting in a in a strategic consulting firm as a partner, and I was hired by Allianz to transform AGF in Allianz uh, with a new CEO, and I was in charge of distribution uh, and all the business side uh, of the wow. company uh, six years. And uh, when the new CEO of Allianz, Oliver Bett, arrived uh, three years ago, a bit more than three years ago, he asked me to, to join him in, uh, in the headquarters in Munich. So now I'm a, French, a Frenchman living in Munich uh, to lead <laughs> marketing, <laughs> marketing, communication, uh, distribution, and uh, since two years, innovation. So, so it's, a bit, it's a bit what? broader. Than I was going to say, so you, you're, you're a busy guy. How would you characterize your, you know, the biggest, um, your biggest mandate and really what the biggest brand challenge is right now or marketing challenge and sort of how you're guiding that um, shift? I think that the, the branding challenges are, are really linked to the to the business challenges. Uh, we have understood since some years now that if we want to change the culture of the group, if we want to move uh, from a product-oriented company to a, a customer-centric company, we have to start to work on the on the, on the, the group, on the, 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 the company brand, on the Alliance brand, uh, and it's exactly what we, we, we have started to do three years ago. We have changed completely the brand strategy, completely the partnership strategy, and it took us to this innovation uh, uh, house, uh, I, will, I will call it like that, where we, we, we now start to work on the new business model we can launch, the new product, a new solution we have to, to, to implement and to create, to be able to prepare the next steps for the next generation uh, digital naturals and digital natives. So it's completely innovation oriented. So you've you've yeah. re-engineered the company, which is why I was so interested that you came from the business side to marketing. That's not yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, yeah. obviously, that previous experience must be informing what you're doing now. Yes, in, in the female role, can you connect those dots for us? Yeah, and also the fa the fact that I, I'm French because you know when when you want to do a, a revolution, uh, <laughs> it's better to be French. So <laughs> I think it's my French origin which is important. We, we as do well. revolutions, okay. <laughs> So in, to summarize it, what we have to do is to, to optimize the current business model, and we are quite good to do that. Uh, I just refer to the, to, the, to the profit we do since years now. Uh, so we are quite good to do our current business. We have to transform it to, be, to make it more digital. Uh, so it's, it's tra a transformation issue. We have to be more lean, more fast, more simple, more user-friendly, more transparent with the clients. And we invest a lot on that since years. And at the same time, we have also to reinvent somewhere the, 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 our current business model to prepare the, 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 the next future because the world will be completely different in the next 10 to 15 mm -hmm. years. And as an insurer, uh, you know that uh, frequently the people think that an insurer is, is built and set up to sell insurance product, which is not the case. Of course, we sell product, but the product is mainly oriented to cover the risk of the people mm -hmm. and to allow the people who take risk, who dare to do things, to be accompanied by an insurance company to decrease the level of stress and being more efficient when they go to the market. So it's this part uh, I have, I have an, an under, under my responsibility, which is really what we call reinvention more than revolution. 
I, I love the fact, I mean, it seems like the, the, the perfect example of um, not, you know, the opposite of marketing being the lipstick on the pig or something where it's just sort of the, the afterthought and the, you've got everything else and then, oh, you just spin it. This is essentially what the whole corporation is about and how it's been reinvented with marketing as, a, as an essential aspect of that. How do you I, even define? Go ahead, Jenny. Yeah, I mean, I guess to Catherine's point, Jean-Marc, I mean, how do you, I think you, it's such a big undertaking. And I would love it if you could kind of peel it back for us a little bit and bring us back to like when you first, where where's the point of origin? I mean, how do you begin to sort of approach this, especially when you're new in a CMO role and you're coming into an organization and understand that we've got listeners who are at big, you know, big multinational companies listening, you know, and have reached the highest level of marketing um, leadership in any given company. And then we've got obviously folks who aspire to that role. So, you know, share your perspective on sort of how you kind of break it down and where do you, where do you begin, especially to bring along the rest of the company and certainly the, all the employees so that everybody's on board with the change that you're seeking to implement. So I'm, I'm quite humble when I'm talking about the, the, the change. And it takes a lot of time to, ch- to change a culture and to come from a product-oriented company to a customer-centric uh, company in culture. Uh, we are on the way. We are in the, journey, in the journey, and we work a lot to change that. We have started a bit more than three years ago, and so I'm really humble about that. But I think that we have done uh, quite uh, – uh, uh, pro- some progress during the during the last three years. So to, to go back to the, to, to the to your question, in fact, if you want to be customer centric, you have to start by understanding what is the market, uh, what 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 are your client needs, what are your client behaviors, and what are the cl- the market needs and behaviors. And especially when you are uh, like we are a global company, you have to understand that not just in two or three major companies, but everywhere in the world, and especially in Asia, in Africa, in some emerging what we call emerging companies that are not anymore emerging companies are much more than that so first first of all we started with that and we started to, to we tried to understand what were the the, the biggest the strongest uh, trend mega trend we had on the market and it started with the, it started with that and in, in fact it was very simple we we, we we have considered we are facing three big type of three big segments uh, of population based on the age and we have done a lot of surveys on that and we have done even some scientific surveys on that when i'm talking about scientific it means biological uh, uh, right, surveys right. and studies and what we have seen is that you have two for we consider that we have two layers, two big layers, above 30 years old and below 18 years old, and in between, of course, 18 and, and, and 30. Above 30 years old, we are facing two big segments. One, one is when we call it the traditional, traditional clients or traditional segments. There are people which are, which are, who are fine with our current value proposition. They want to, to insure their car. They want to insure their home. They want to insure their life. They want to insure their health. Uh, and the, it's the same with, with the company because these people are leading companies, by the way. So on the, on the other segment, and, and for these guys, we optimize what we do, make it more efficient, more, more simple, more productive. And we do a lot of profit with that, with, uh, with this segment, and we do a lot of profit with this traditional business model. On the other side, we have what we call digital converted and digital natural, the people who have already digital behaviors. And it's more than using a digital tool. It's really thinking in a different way and trying to, to and, and wishing uh, uh, to have a very simple, fast, transparent, user-friendly, and, and, and simple value proposition coming from the insurer. They still have the same needs. They still have cars. They still have homes. They still wonder about the, their, their, their future life, their retirement, and so on. But they, they want a different proposal. They want to have this proposal made with these with this digital values. So this is a transformation part. And last but not least, we have the people below 18. And we, we call these people mutants. I have five children. I have three children, <laughs> three children below 18 and two children above uh, 18. Uh, and I, I, I experienced that in my day-to-day life. My, my children below 18 years old are thinking the world in a different way. They conceptualize the world, the world in a different way. They have completely different needs, completely different behaviors, and there are some scientific reasons for that. So it, we have not enough time to enter into detail, but there are really scientific, scientific reasons for that. Mm. And 
because of that, we know that all the people uh, were were born after the the, the 2000, the, the year 2000, will have a completely different behavior and completely different needs. And because we have an infra, we are obliged to understand what will be these needs, what will be these behaviors, because based on that, we'll have to find new solutions, a new way to do our business, a new way to be to to, to be profitable for the future. And I will just give you one example which summarizes that. When we talk about when we talk about traditional people, we, we we talk about car insurance, and I take a very simple product, car insurance. We have to insure the car, and we have to insure to insure it in the best way with the best price. It's done. We know how to do it again, and we do we are really efficient on that. On the other side, we have this digital converted, above 30 years old, and digital natural between 30 and, and 18. And these guys, they want to have a different approach. They want to have a, a driver insurance. They don't want to be treated like the other. It's the opposite ah. of mutualization. It's individualization. They want to pay what they need to pay linked to their driving behaviors. I'm a good driver. I don't want to pay like mm. a bad driver. It's completely different. And it makes a, lo- a lot of sense when you see that from a client perspective. And it has a huge impact on the offer. Because in this case, you're obliged right. to use artificial intelligence tools, for example, to be able to adapt the pricing to the specificities of the driver. But they still drive a car. And when you when you when you try to understand what will be the future for the people below 18 years old, you you see immediately that they will not own a car; they will use vehicles, which is completely different. And for these guys, it's not a driver insurance, it's not a car insurance, it's it's a mobility insurance. You insure wow. their mobility journey, which is completely different from an yeah. insurance point of view. Well, let's talk about that because I know Catherine, we we have we had some questions we wanted to ask about along those lines because I know. Um, you're, you all are actually investing in startups and, and yes. acting as an insurance incubator that invests in mobility. Can you yes. talk about that? I mean, that just sounds super fascinating. And just before you do, just to reintroduce you, um, we are speaking with Jean-Marc Paul. He's uh, the chief marketing officer for Allianz. I'm Catherine Hayes with my co-host, Jenny Rooney. Please go ahead. Okay, so I will uh, I will answer to your question, and it's it's quite easy because it's linked to what I've said before. If you want to to create the solution for the future, if you want to 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 be ready for the the next needs of these people below 18 years old, you need to be an actor of the evolution or the revolution we are facing now. Uh, I'm used to say that we are living for the first time in the in the human history. At the same time, uh, knowledge revolution based on Internet, and we are just at the beginning of that, but we are already uh, leaving that, and we are facing the second industrial revolution. I'm talking about drones. I'm talking about electric vehicles. I'm talking about electric engines, by the way. I'm talking about new way to produce energy, renewable energy, which makes a link with the, the first question you, you, you asked or the first point you, you mentioned. Uh, we are talking about autonomous vehicles. We are talking about uh, drones for transport for, for passenger transport transportation we are talking about 3d printers we are talking about robotic we are talking about artificial intelligence and and the impact all this new uh, technical evolution or technical revolution will have on our insurance business from an insurance perspective and from a prevention perspective mm. so if you want to understand that you need to be a part of this change and to be a part of this change you need to partner with the companies the startups who are leading this change to access to the data, to understand the data, to understand what will be the future, to challenge, even to challenge some part of their value proposition, to be able to understand what will be in the future, the insurance solution, which will be adapted to these new products we'll have on the market, to these new services we'll have on the market. And to do that, the best way is to invest in this company because when you invest in the company, of course, you have access to the business model, you understand the business model, you have access to the data, you can understand the data, you can work on the data, and it's a win-win approach because for the company to have alliance inside makes a lot of sense because mm-hmm. you are immediately stronger. And for us, it makes a lot of sense because we have all the insights which will allow us to prepare the solution for the future. Isn't that just, I mean, I think that's just incredibly fascinating and and just making that investment. Um, I mean, you're giving, but you're getting. I mean, it's just the perfect sort of um, pushing you into a new territory, um, you know, with true investment. I think that's super fascinating. 
Catherine, maybe we can talk to uh, Jean-Marc about the, I know you have a big uh, partnership that you recently announced. Um, yeah, we'd love to hear about that. That sounds like a really fantastic arrangement. So please share. Yeah, yesterday. We, said we, 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 uh, we, we make love official, breaking news here. Yeah, we make <laughs> official. So yeah, it's brand new. Huh? It was yesterday, the, the official announcement. So we have signed, signed a partnership with the Olympic Movement, with the IOC. And we had already a partnership with the IPC. And this partnership is embedded in this global partnership with the Olympic and Paralympic Movement. So it's what we have announced yesterday. And the uh, the par- uh, International special. Paralympics, right? Absolutely. International Paralympic Committee and International Olympic Committee. Perfect. So, and and, um, it it makes a lot of sense with what I've said before, because, of course, the strongest is the brand, and the, the, the more global is the brand, the more powerful you have to be seen by this current client and future client as a potential insurer or reassurer. Uh, it's something which is quite interesting as well. We are working, the, our proposal is somewhere there too, we are with you, or we accompany the people who have courage. This is a proposal of Alliance, uh, because of our, our company job is to accompany these guys and to make the things possible. And because of that, you need to have a great awareness and a great legitimacy to accompany the people. And that's why it's so important at the same time to work locally in each country with all these young startups or even sometimes bigger companies like Intel. Uh, we have some projects with, with Intel or we have some projects with NL or BMW working together. Uh, but at the same time, it's quite important to have a global awareness, to be sure that we, are, we have the power given by the brand and we have the capacity to work locally, to use this power, to make the things, the things more easy, to enable the change and to accompany this change incredible um <laughs> i know i'm sort of speechless it's this it's is just so powerful with those groups is that correct sorry excuse me is this the first time you've done a partnership with the um paralympics no no this the paralympics the we have time. a partnership since 12 years uh okay. so it, it it was it was uh, the objective of this partnership was to uh, um to add to our traditional i would say german rooted values uh, solidity, efficiency, consistency, resilience, uh, a, an emotional part. So and the new partnership your... with the International World Olympics. Yes, is... and, and, and it's, 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 a, it's the same principle. It's based on emotion, but it's bigger. Got it. Of course, uh, I, if I take two figures, the opening ceremony of the, 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 the Paralympic Games in Pyeongchang had more than two billions uh, viewers on TV, uh, the opening ceremony for, for the, the, Pyeong, the Pyeongchang uh, Olympic uh, Winter Games had more than 4 billion. So it's two times more. So if you, if you add the Olympic and the Paralympic, you have a, a huge capacity to communicate on this emotional part of the brand, what we really want to reach in the future, to put emo- emotion and innovation in addition to our traditional values. Catherine, when you hear that and you look at it through the lens of your book, Beyond Advertising, you know, how, do, how does that resonate? Because, I mean, talk about um, all, t- all customer touch points. I mean, that, that is certainly a broad way to reach um, Absolutely. Ex- and, and what strikes me in, in, um, in doing a little research or, or reading through the press release is the nature of the relationship because this isn't not this is not just a marketing relationship by any stretch of the imagination this is not just you putting your logo in the stands tell us more about the the breadth of what this relationship is you're actually providing the in, the insurance correct absolutely yeah. absolutely we provide insurance to the right. to the olympics we provide insurance to the paralympics uh, to the ioc and the ipc and we provide insurance to the, the national olympic committee we provide insurance to the organization committee in each country well for the for the next four games after tokyo because it's a, a 10 years contract but starting officially uh, after the, the Tokyo Olympic Games and we work with them as well to create uh, specific products, insurance product or insurance solution, I don't like the word product, mm, insurance yeah. solutions for the athletes for the assets uh, based on a co-creation and we have already started with the, 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 the guys from the Olympics and Paralympics working with the athletes directly to try to find the best way to solve that problem and to accompany them again because if when we talk about people who are there they are really people who are there 
That, that, that is, so to answer your question, Jenny, I think that's probably the most powerful aspect of it. This isn't just, you know, which media are they buying? This is a, a deep, deep relationship and a learning relationship. So there's this incredible value exchange that's happening. You're providing and learning and you're looking for solutions. You're not just selling products to the to the athletes and the committee members, but you're you're actually finding solutions for them. And that evolves. And presumably that then impacts how you think about your services, especially with an innovation kind of a platform that you have. And of course, you have your branding at these events and and during the years leading up to the events. So very, very powerful and comprehensive and authentic if, you know, to use a a perhaps overword, but you have the authority based on the, the real nature of your relationship with them. Absolutely, you are fully right. And I will, I will add two things. The first one is that uh, you probably know that the Olympic movement, and especially the IOC, has decided to launch an online channel to broadcast sport, all the sports worldwide. The name of the channel is the Olympic Channel. And we are, of course, uh, one of the main partners of the Olympic Channel. The objective of the Olympic Channel is to have one billion followers uh, for the for the, the Los Angeles Games, mm. one billion followers, and we will create with all these followers and all the people watching the Olympic Channel, watching sport on the Olympic Channel, and it's broader than sport and it's a sport ecosystem. We provide, we will create with these guys an emo- We want to create with them an emotional link, a personal emotional link based on this brand uh, brand value global brand value with Alliance and the Olympics and the Paralympics, and even pro- pro- provide content within this specific uh, sport ecosystem on the, 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 the Olympic Channel. So it's, it's really, it's really uh, we, we yeah. go really deep in, the, in, in transforming uh, the, this brand partnership in, a, in an individual brand touch point and brand value for, for each of the people who will use this digital channel. So this is one example, and I will give you another example if, if you allow me. Please. Uh, um, when I was talking about uh, the, the, all the work we are, do, we are doing on innovation, I will just give you two examples. We have signed a, uh, we have signed a contract with, with a, a Spanish company who is developing a full electric mobility value chain to transform the, the public uh, traditional fleet in mm. electric fleet in many countries. And uh, we, 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 of course, support them. On, on, in this journey, we will ensure the charging posts, all the charging posts, which are necessary to provide the electric mm. vehicles, and we will support them for the fleet. And the fleet, each car will have on the car Alliance inside, and mm-hmm. each uh, charging post will have on the charging post the brand Alliance. So right. you see that we go really yeah. near the, the, the future customer on the market, including the products we are insuring. Sure. I, I can, I'm sure we don't have time, but I can only imagine the, the relationships within the C-suite and among your, your teams that would have to happen on the, on, the, on, the, you know, on the company side to make these come to life. And that I would imagine we'd have to save for another conversation. But. I don't know. We have just a couple more minutes, but it would be great if you could address that for us and, and what those relationships look like. Relationship within my team or relationship within the group? Within, within your uh, corporation. Within a what group. kind of cross-team collaboration also needs to have has happened to make this possible? So, it, in, fa- in fact, we have a very small team. I have a very small team at the headquarters, uh, and my, my people. Uh, and by the way, I have no hierarchy in my team. I, I work directly. I have some seniors and juniors, and we work directly together. Uh, each each member of my team is responsible of projects, and we are fo- following the uh, project, project projects range, and we follow the project each 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 uh, each, each of them uh, directly with me. Uh, so it's a, it's a lot of work and a lot of autonomy I ask to my team, but it's a very small team, and we work with the local team in each country or in the global line of business we are working with, and we we have in each of these teams one, two, or three people in charge of the project as well, and we work in co-creation and, and, and co-working much more than in a traditional way where you decide from the center uh, in a top-down approach. We want to do that, and you have to do it. We don't work like that. We work jointly, and we try to have as many contacts as we can to be flexible and, and agile. So we work somewhere like a startup. 
So, Jenny, you're absolutely right. We, this is this is a whole nother conversation. <laughs> We'd love to have you back, Jean-Marc. But but for the time now, we we uh, we must uh, say goodbye. So thank you so much. Lots of great innovation. A- amazing and so inspirational. Jean-Marc Payol, who is the uh, chief marketing officer for Allianz. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Uh, you can find more about him at Allianz.com, A-L-L-I-A-N-Z, or on Twitter at Allianz. Next up, we have Chris Hummel. He's the Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at United Rentals. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you very much, guys. Great to be here. Great, great to have you. So um, just wanted to, to tell our listeners the reason why we reached out to you in particular. Um, as I was reading Ad Age, the, 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 one of the main magazines about uh, what's going on in the advertising world. I noticed an article about uh, United Rental. So we we want to get into the newsworthiness of it. But before we do, can you just give us a little bit of background first, Chris, on who is United Rentals and what's the scope of, of your business? Sure, happy to. So United Rentals is the world's largest equipment rental provider. We serve mostly industrial companies and construction companies with providing them mission-critical and heavy equipment, everything from earth-moving to scissor lifts to pumps, fluid solutions, uh, industrial tools, all that kind of stuff to help them in all kinds of projects, whether they're building something, renovating, or um, kind of constructing. And our, we're about 21 years old and about $7.5 billion, roughly, in revenue operating in North America, so the United States and Canada. So just operating in North America and Canada, but you're the, the world's largest in terms of size. That's correct. Gotcha. Yeah, we, we recently made an acquisition, which has given us a small toehold in Europe, but the reality is most of our business is here. Got it, got it. And you're about to expand your offering? Well, we've been, uh, we're sort of always constantly expanding our offering, both through acquisition and through um, our own good efforts, so to speak. Uh, we have another acquisition we just announced recently of the number eight uh, rental company in North America, Blue Line Rental. So that's currently now in process. And we're doing a lot of things in terms of, particularly with technology, uh, using digital technologies to try and help our customers with productivity, sort of manage some of the complexity. Mm-hmm. And we're doing that through our own developments internally. Gotcha. And so um, before we get into the your role as chief marketing officer or some of the, the issues and topics that you're dealing with in a B2B company, um, tell us about your own personal marketing journey. What, what, uh, what's been your career journey to get you to this place? Yeah, I'm not your, your typical marketeer, I guess, but then again, who is? I was, uh, I'm not sure there is one, which is why we like to ask the question. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't know that there's a profile. We're sort of CMOs are going through a bit of an identity crisis over the last couple <laughs> of years. We can't figure out exactly who we are, what the right background. But my, my personal journey, if you like, without going to, all the way back to childhood, so to speak, but I started my career actually heading towards um, diplomacy. It was going to be a foreign service officer. Oh, you were at Fletcher, right? Yeah. I was, I was at, at Georgetown and, School of Foreign Service. Ah, there yeah. we go. So nice there. But yeah. um, so was heading down that whole path and was, you know, uh, focused on the former Soviet Union at the time, all that kind of stuff, and ended up almost got sidetracked a little bit and ended up working for Oracle, uh, turned down the foreign service, and then started a long career in sales, primarily in technology. And it's just in the last, so worked with Oracle, SAP, uh, a few other companies, and then ended up sort of making a shift into the industrial world, uh, where I was the global chief marketing officer of Schneider Electric, a big $35 billion French conglomerate. And then over the last three years, I've been here at United Rentals. And let's say it was not coming from places like Oracle SAP. Uh, this is not necessarily where I had expected to end up, but having a fantastic time. What mm-hmm. attracted you to the role, Chris? I mean, what was it about the mandate and sort of the expectations that we're going to be put on the, the CMO at United Rentals that appealed and you saw as a great opportunity for you? Well, it was really two things, I think. It's one in general, as I've sort of gotten more into the industrial space or what a lot of people call the operational technology space. You see the, you know, IT has kind of really already captured the world in terms of, you know, uh, what I call sort of the religious selling of uh, the version of my technology is the next Nirvana or whatever it is. But the real realities of companies that have to work in the dirt, that have to work with things that can't be delivered by drones and, and have to actually 
do a lot of the things, whether it's building infrastructure or manufacture or whatever else, that has not really been a place where people have spent a lot of time marketing. Yet when you look at all the trends with the Internet of Things and, and all the kind of convergence of various technologies and whatnot, the opportunity to come to a Fortune 500 company mm. that is by far the leader in its industry and very, very forward-thinking, as I started to get into it, um, I just got hooked. And then, you know, working with the executive team sort of before I jumped over, and they said, well, you know, our big focus here is really on digitizing the whole space. That just, it, it hooked me. We talk a lot when we talk to consumer companies, um, we talk a lot about the value of, of brand purpose, right, and storytelling and all those things, both from, you know, in terms of attracting consumers, but also in tra- attracting employees. Are you also seeing on the B2B side that that's um, become a, a priority? And, and how, if so, how is that manifest? Well, first of all, I don't know that you can differentiate between B2B and B2C marketing as much anymore. Sure. Um, you know, I think the, the the fun part of being in B2B is you have to deal with the individual as well as the group think, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. But there is no question the narrative, the uh, the story behind what you are trying to position your company as and the offering, the value proposition you have to customers, whether they be individuals or companies, that is critical. And it doesn't, it doesn't always come just in a sexy, sizzly ad or a video reel or something like that. It's actually a sustained process, which a lot of people call customer experience, which is certainly part of it. But um, can you be authentic in, in what you're trying to do? And so that's, that's really where I think the challenge is, is having an authentic narrative and story that does relate to both who you are as a company and what you're trying to offer your customers. And I had one more quick question. I'm sorry, and then I'll hand it back to you, Catherine. But just along this, these lines, I'm just curious. You know, there seems to be also in recent years a much more interest, an interest in uh, certainly authenticity, but also like how it's made, you know, like the – Sort of right, the, the maker the, culture. Exactly. So, do you? How is that impacting you all? I have to think that you see see that impacting you in in, in various ways. Well, I think the way that we uh, we see it, or I see it, as the the head of marketing is, it's really actually as much as our company is about fleet and machines and technology and all the things we do. Actually, our story is about who we are as people. Mm-hmm. It's who this company is. It's a very blue-collar ethic. It's a very flat organization. It's um, people who are really dedicated to service, both mm-hmm. to their customers or, you know, for example, at our company, 14% of our employees are actually military veterans. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so a big part of who we are comes from that kind of ethos and ethic of service and commitment and delivery and operational excellence. And so it is very much a part of uh, what we deliver to our customers is who we are. Sure. Yep. So it goes all, all the way through that. That's exactly what I was going to be asking about. And and maybe can you just describe some of the ways that that's come to life? It sounds very organic, just the fact that you reflect within your employee base the those who, who you serve as, as your customers. But how else does that manifest itself, both intentionally as well as perhaps just organically? Well, it's, it's, I mean, when I took over the company, you know, marketing was a very small organization. I went from running a global organization at my previous job with over 1,000 people directly reporting to me in marketing communications and over 6,000 in the whole company. And I joined United Rentals and there were six people in marketing. <laughs> so it was, you know, a completely different kind of challenge, if you like. So one of the first things you do, a new CMO coming in, you go, wow, I need a, I need a brand platform. I need to figure out who we are, and in in going through that whole process, uh, what we realized our, our brand was is, again, this nature of, of being of service. And so it mandates or it uh, sort of expresses itself in obviously all the commitment of the company in terms of what the people do. But just to give you an idea, one of the first programs we put together was actually we had just decided to sponsor an IndyCar program with the uh, Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan team and the driver, Graham Rahal. And what we ended up doing was, instead of focusing that program on advertising or all those kinds of things, yes, we do customer hospitality, yes, we put our logo on the car, but we actually built a program called Turns for Troops, where what we do is we invest $50 for every lap that Graham completes towards an organization called Soldier Strong, which gives 
technology for wounded veterans in their rehabilitation, exoskeleton suits for paralyzed wow. veterans, these kind of things. Amazing. And so it was amazing. I can even say the first time I met Graham and his wife, it was one of these kind of awkward conversations. Okay, I'm not really a motorhead. I don't really know that much about racing. And he was sort of like, okay, I don't really know that much about this company, but they just signed a check. And we sort of got to the point where I started talking about the Turns for Troops program. And immediately his eyes lit up mm-hmm. and, and, and his wife was there as well. And all of a sudden we became, you know, sort of almost like best friends. And then David Letterman, who's the Letterman in the RLL, also got involved and was very committed to these uh, causes. So all of a sudden, we weren't just doing an advertising program, we were we were doing a cause almost, and the team became as much a partner in that. And from a very objective, kind of practical purpose, that was absolutely the best sponsorship activation that I've ever been involved in. I've spent a lot of money on sponsorships over my career. But finding that that niche between what the commitment of the individuals and the, and the team was and the commitment of us expressed itself in a marketing program that actually drives about 50% of our social traffic. Wow, 50%. You, and you also fund, um, is it centers of excellence or excellent uh, excellence uh, training as well? Yeah, so we one part of our, our, our service offering to customers is the, through United Academy, which is a training program around safety and operational excellence. And we have a number of centers of excellence around the country and we, again, expressing kind of who we are, we've dedicated uh, six of those, well, now seven, but six at first, five to the different branches of the U.S. military, and then one to the uh, Royal Armed Forces in Canada. And just recently, about two weeks ago, I had the honor of attending the seventh Center of Excellence, which is in Ridgefield Park, New Jersey, just outside New York City. Mm-hmm. And we dedicated that to first responders, um, particularly in connection with 9-11. Right. Because a big part of our oral history, if you like, of our company was that a lot of people were, you know, evacuating New York after the terrible events of 9-11. We were sort of rushing in to get equipment and the stories of our own staff sort of sleeping in vans for days, trying to help out everybody and being a part of that whole recovery effort yeah. is something that's obviously a, a dark period for the country, but in some ways a very heroic moment for our own people to feel like we were committed uh, to that cause. So that, that dedication was something that I think was very personal to everybody involved. Yeah, I've, I watched uh, the, the brief video that you have on your website. It's, it's really compelling and very real and heartfelt uh, all the way around for everybody who was involved with, with that. And then and give talk. So that's that, that element that, that really came clear both on your, your website as well as your Facebook page um, is good. So let's, let's change the topic a little bit to, uh, to your other n- recent news. Um, you appeared twice in Ad Age. Um, it's, a, it's a weekly publication. And you, you know, first of all, it was like, why is this B2B maybe unheard of by many people, um, United Rentals, getting all of this great press about all the fabulous advertising agencies fighting to get your business. So tell us tell us the story. Yeah, I mean, the reporter wrote it to like, why in the world are all these advertising <laughs> Thanks a lot, right? Crazy industrial company. So, <laughs> so I think part of it is, um, so from our side, let's look at it from our side. We are not, you know, a traditional marketeer. You don't see Super Bowl ads from us. You don't even see ads from us very much. I mean, yeah, we do some sponsorship. We're probably getting our voice a little bit louder. Um, and so part of it is what I realized as the head of marketing and, and talking to the executive team and working with all my, my colleagues and peers is we, although we have this great position as the, um, the largest equipment rental company in the world, our customers need something more. Um, there's a transition kind of going on where you know, the American Society of Civil Engineers rated our infrastructure in the United States very poorly. Mm-hmm. Lost. Our customers very struggling poorly. with yep. productivity and, and challenge with the complexity. And, and our offering has gone far beyond just the equipment. As I said, sort of getting into the digital technologies and real ways of, I mean, we do drones, we have investments in robotics, we're getting involved in autonomous vehicles, we're doing all kinds of things that you would go, United Rentals? Um, and so we needed to find a way to tell that story and so we said, you know what, we, we, we need some help. We need somebody to sort of come in and do it. And I had a feeling that 
you know, uh, with my background and, and in contacts and my own little reputation, I could attract a few of the, the top agencies, but I knew I was going to have a little bit, or I thought I might have a little bit of a sell job to convince them on what we're doing. And what it turns out is, is we started to talk to them, you know, uh, and one of the ad agencies, actually the one who won, uh, the, the head and the founder there said, not oh just anybody, um, David Droga of Droga David 5. David Droga, that's yeah. right, of Droga 5, um, who's probably one of the most decorated creative mm-hmm. uh, personalities Truly. in the industry. He said, once he and I started talking, he said, I've never seen an opportunity that has retail, um, you know, visual elements like equipment, technology. Uh, you know, you guys are the real Internet of Things company, the service sort of mentality that you have, the opportunity to create this whole industry that so many people, although it's a $50 billion plus industry just in North America, most people don't know about, he was salivating, and thankfully so were most of the other agencies. So we went through <laughs> a, a, you know, about a four-month process to sort of uh, figure out who the right partner was, and we had some of the top agencies, uh, you know, the final four were all top 10 agencies uh, mm-hmm. that were fighting for this business, all did a very good job. And as we just said, we ended up choosing Droga 5, but it was kind of funny the way people were like, United Rentals? Really? Um, <laughs> One so of the we- other aspects of it, too, that I that, uh, that the point was made is that very few um, marketers are using agencies as agency of record. So they have, you know, this one agency that they do all their work with or sort of the lead person and there's a long-term relationship that it's become far more project-based. Um, and so the opportunity to take on a company and have the kind of relationship that you described, um, I think they were also very, very interested in that and to be really, really yeah, part of the whole clear, process. I, uh, you know, I don't necessarily believe in the agency of record model either, in the sense of consolidating everything into one industry, in, uh, into one agency, excuse me. We definitely are, are, went through a consolidation process as part of this, and we are picking a, a few partners. Um, but the idea of agency record somehow sort of feels like, okay, they speak for us rather mm. than the partnership Right. that we're really building. So we have about three or four partners in, in different key areas, and Droga 5 is clearly our lead creative advertising and even branding agency in that mix. And, you know, I, I believe that ultimately uh, the brand resides, you know, the, that's for the company. Uh, and what these Absolutely. partners help us do is help us find it, express it, and, and put it into the right framework. But yeah, I, I look. I, we were we were the other way. We had sort of more project-based, lots of different specialized agencies, and given our specific circumstances, we couldn't handle that, and it was better for us to consolidate to a few partners. But I certainly understand the trend. It's also interesting too that um, I think it's something that we've talked about on the show before. That and for our listeners in particular who are maybe with smaller companies. There's no question that agencies want to have really interesting projects. They want to work with companies where there's the kind of characteristics that you have, that you know, the, the ethos of the company, the values of the company, the impact of the company are really, really strong, and that you have an open mind about it to be able to get the bigger agencies to, to do it. They, the people in their organizations want to work on something other than just the same old fast-moving consumer products. So um, so I think that's a good message. Uh, and, and your example, I think, really shows how you don't have to be well-known or a, a CPG company to, to get some real interest on the part of great agencies. Well, the other thing I think, if I can just add in there, that, that all the agencies kind of recognize, and I certainly directed them this way, is you know, for a lot of companies like ours uh, who aren't traditionally um, heavily invested in marketing, actually the internal change is just as big a part of it. So it's not just about the communication externally. Right. It's the communication internally mm-hmm. and driving the 16,000 brand ambassadors that we need to have in the market. And so the challenge is, is a comprehensive one. I think that's what you were kind of getting at is that, yep. you know, when you when you have this kind of opportunity to open up a new industry, find a whole new story that has all these core elements that could come together, but you have to add in that internal transformation and change as well. That just puts a big challenge that some people are afraid of, but there are a lot of mm. the best of the best will come and say, that's exactly the kind of thing I want to work on. 
Sure. What kind of internal, I just should ask real quick, and I'm sorry if you've answered this, but what kind of internal capabilities? Do you have any sort of robust, you know, a lot of companies too are moving to, to an internal agency model or at least bringing in a lot of in-house. Have you shifted in any regard what you kind of hold on to in-house versus what you're parsing out? And No, as I mentioned before, I mean, when I joined, we had six people in marketing, and I think I've done an incredible job of doubling it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and to cover what is now, after the Blue Line acquisition, going to be a more than $8 billion company, mm-hmm. we are absolutely uh, dependent upon our external partners for everything we can. We stay very, very lean and direct from internally, and it's a very collaborative across the executive team to kind of drive it, because this is not just a marketing strategy. This is the business strategy. Exactly. Right? Yeah. In hand, hand in hand with this, and um, and so, you know, we don't really do anything internally. Although, you know, we have lots of technology, like we have an internal social, um, you know, platform with with Facebook and Workplace by Facebook and those kind of things. But no, we we have not we have not taken the trend. We've talked about it and discussed it, but right now for us, it's much better to keep it. Keep very flexible. This is going to work, yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to ask. Well, we're almost out of time, so if it's a quick question, Jenny, what do you think? Yeah, well, we were trying, we were hoping to get to ask our guests a couple of questions related to some of the things that were hot in the news these days. I don't know if we have time to ask Chris. So, yeah, so we we named it Quick Thoughts on Hot Topics. So we have about literally 30 seconds. (laughs) And the the topic is um, any thoughts on the recent Nike advertisements and or uh, the Serena advertisements? with uh, with Chase. Yeah, I, I don't know that I'm, you know, in such a great place to comment. I understand, you know, sometimes you have to differentiate yourself and there's an approach to differentiation and certain companies like Nike have, have sort of found themselves on the edge and, and use that as their strategy. Uh, that's not really the strategy that we would adopt, but um, it's, it's a differentiation and how do you stand out in the crowd? Great. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you, Chris. Chris Hummel, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at United Rentals. Thank you so much for being with us today. And with that, our thanks for listening to all of you out there. Thank you for, for tuning in. Thoughts, comments, suggestions about the show, please do tweet us at bizradio, B-I-Z radio 132. Or Jenny, um, you can tweet her at Jenny underscore Rooney or me at Catherine, C-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-E-H-A-Y-S. Cheers. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.